Greetings. Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast presented by Library of the Damned. My name is Monica S. Kubler and I'll be your host this month. Before we kick into this month's show, we have some big news. First off, you can now subscribe to the Great Lakes Horror Company on Google Music and Stitcher, as well as iTunes. We're also working on some big technical improvements to the show, as well as preparing for the launch of two more story-themed podcasts in the coming months. So if you enjoy what we do and would like to take your listenership to the next level, you can now support the making of this show and various upcoming projects on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com slash libraryofthedamned. And as always, we thank you for your support, regardless of what form it might take. Listener, subscriber, patron, or simply someone who takes a moment out of their busy day to leave us a rating or review. All these things are important, and we thank you. On this month's episode, we interview two of the big winners from the Bram Stoker Awards, which were held back in May on the Queen Mary at StokerCon. First up, Jason White corners Tom Deedy, who took home the trophy for superior achievement in a first novel. And in the second half of this month's episode, I'll be talking with Maria Alexander about her novel Snowed, which won the Stoker for superior achievement in a young adult novel. Now, without further delay, I hand this over to Jason. Hello, this is Jason White, and today I am joined by Tom Deedy. That is how you pronounce your name, correctly? That's correct. All right. Tom was born and raised in Malden, Massachusetts, not far from the historic and spooky town of Salem. He has endured a career as an IT professional, but his dream has always been to be a writer. Tom has a master's degree in English and creative writing from Southern New Hampshire University and is a member of both the Horror Writers Association and the New England Horror Writers Association. Excuse me, the New England Horror Writers. I don't know why I <laughs> got tongue-tied over that. Uh, Tom's first novel, Haven, was released in 2016 by Cemetery Dance Publications and is the winner of the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a First Novel. His new release, Eternal Darkness, was released in 2017 by Bloodshot Books. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thanks for having me, Jason. Happy to be here. And, you know, I want to extend a congratulations to you for winning uh, uh, the Bram Stoker. That's a that's a big, big thing. It is overwhelming. I don't I, I still can't believe it actually happened. It's it's amazing. I'm thrilled. So, so were you uh, there at StokerCon for that? I was. I had already planned the trip even before I made the ballot. I, I had attended last year and really enjoyed it. And when I heard it was on the Queen Mary this year, I definitely wanted to go. And then, you know, the the nomination and all that. So mm -hmm. I, I was there for the award, which was, like I said, it was amazing. It was some when when I heard my name called, it's it's a moment I'll never forget and a moment I'll never be able to describe to anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine like uh, the adrenaline alone. Uh, do you do you have trouble remembering? Uh, you know, from that moment when they called your name? Yeah, it's kind of funny because the, the people told me afterwards they thought I might have had a heart attack because it took me so long to get to the stage because <laughs> both my daughters were hugging me and my wife was hugging me. And yeah, I think it was, I, I may have blacked out for a minute or two. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was it like, uh, you know, just sitting there, just being in the in the same room with all that talent? Yeah, like I said, I went to the convention last year and, and it's just... I, it's amazing because they are at such a different level, the George R. R. Martins and, and those folks, but you'd never know it. You, you, you can just walk up to them and have a conversation with them about books, about movies, about whatever. So 
as kind of fanboyish as I get sometimes around those people, it, there's really no need to, they're just, they're so nice and so willing to help. And, you know, I don't, I don't think they feel like they're above anyone. So it was a great experience. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, you realize that these, these, uh, cause you know, I've, I've been there too. Um, but you know, you just realize that these people are just like you and it's kind of a, a strange realization because when you're at home, especially like people like George R. R. Martin, you're at home reading the books, you see the HBO series and, uh, and then you meet them in real life and it's like, you know, this is just a dude. <laughs> exactly. It's, it, yeah, it's to put it in the simplest terms. That's what it is. It's just another dude. And I've had a similar experience here locally, uh, Haverhill, Massachusetts, for whatever reason, seems to be this hotbed of horror writers. There's Chris Golden lives up there. There, John McElveen, um, Jim Moore. So I've been to a lot of local events with them, and it's like I said, they're you know they're at a level above me, and you know have much more fame and fortune, and they're perfectly willing to you know read an arc and give me a blurb and do whatever they can to help me. It's really quite a community. That's awesome. Uh, you won the Stoker for your uh, your novel Haven. Can you tell us what that book's about? Sure. Um, I guess Stuart O'Nan summed it up as succinctly as I could on the blurb he gave me so generously, which was uh, small town boys versus evil. Um, it, it basically takes place in three different time frames, and it's about this recurring evil that occurs in the, the town of Haven, Massachusetts, fictional, obviously. Um, at one point, the belief was that it was a serial killer at work, and they imprisoned Paul Graymore for some of the murders that took place in 1961. He is subsequently released in the now time frame of the book, which is 1978, and coinciding with his release, the murders start again. Um, so there's, there's a lot of backstory, a lot of character building, and a lot of subplots going back and forth between the three time frames, the first time frame being uh, World War II, where the actual creature is born. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to give away too much, but uh, there is a real creature. It wasn't Paul Graymore killing all the kids. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it it's a long book, and it, it's, it took me a long time to write it, and I'm just really thrilled that people seem to be enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, you, you mentioned that it's a long book, and... Well, it is. It's uh, about 500 pages. Um, not not many new writers can uh, pump out something that large on the first try. And, and while I was, uh, I, I'm about halfway through it now, and I have a question about the book in a minute. But before that, I just wanted to know, um, because it's so big, uh, have you written many novels prior to publishing this one? You know, like the, the type of, of learning novels or trunk novels that you never want anyone else to ever read? That was literally my first novel ever. Oh, really? <laughs> yep. Cool. And 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 it took me, it took me about fifteen years to actually write. Obviously, not nonstop. I would you know work on it for a few months and put it away for a few years, on and off, starting in about nineteen ninety six until two thousand twelve when I finished it. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. So, it, the funny thing is, it was so long, and I don't I don't write by outline. I just write, I, I get a scene in my head, I say, oh, this is really cool, it's going to happen sometime later in the book, but I have to write it down now, and by the time I got to the end, and I had, you know, whatever, 500 pages, and I said, I, I got to figure out how this all fits together, and make sure I'm not screwing up 
you know, my time frames and having weird plot flaws because of the different time. And I had to put index cards and map the whole thing out. It was harder than writing it, actually, was fitting all <laughs> the pieces together at the end. Yeah, the, I, this, mo- this novel is uh, pretty much a, a big part of your life then. It really is. It's funny because it, I, I call it um, kind of my third child because most of the reasons I was pulled away from it was to raise my two daughters. And <laughs> uh, I, I call it their, their other sibling because so much was going on in my life and little, you know, there's little anecdotal things that happen that I kind of find, found ways to squeeze into the book, which is really cool. And uh, yeah, it uh, it is a big part of me and a big part of my life. And you know, speaking of a uh, you know childhood, uh, as I was saying, I'm in the middle of the book now, and I have to say that the novel really manages to take me back to the '80s and '90s when I was reading Dean Koontz, John Saul, Stephen King, and uh, Robert McCammon. Um, who made you want to write horror novels? Definitely Stephen King, Dan Simmons, and Robert McCammon. Uh, the three the three biggest influences, as you've probably figured out, were. It by King, yes. Boys, Boys Life, and um, Summer of Night by McCammon. Those three are probably, in my mind, the, the perfect coming-of-age horror novels yes. existing today. For sure. I'm, I'm surprised, actually, I didn't think of The Simmons, because I read that, too. And now that you said it, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yep, huge influences. King, obviously, but those other two. I remember back, you know, late 70s, early 80s, when bookstores actually had horror sections those names along with Koontz and that was it that was the whole horror section was those guys yeah pretty much (laughs) um so it's published by Cemetery Dance that's you know it's really difficult to get a short story published by these guys how did you get your first novel published by them it's really one of those perfect storm things I had I had finished the manuscript and a long story short, I'll try to make it short. I had a relationship. I, I used to have a Red Sox blog called Surviving Grady, mm-hmm. based on Grady Little. Obviously, we started in 2004. And um, we actually turned the 2004 blog into a book and published the book. At, at one point, the blog was pretty popular back in the early days of blogs. And when Stephen King and Stuart Onan wrote Faithful, Stuart Onan's publicist reached out to me and wanted me to interview him for the Red Sox blog. Mm-hmm. So I did, and you know we posted it and all that, and I just kind of stayed in touch with them just e- by email, just saying, "Hey, what are you working on? I'm, you know, I'm still trying to finish my book, blah blah blah." <laughs> and when I finally did, I figured it's time to ask the big question, and I asked him, you know, "Hey, do you, would you mind taking a look at this?" So I sent him a hard copy of an early draft of Haven and surprisingly he still talks to me because it was pretty, (laughs) pretty rough. (laughs) But, uh, not only did he read it and give me that beautiful blurb, he basically edited the whole thing for me. It was amazing what he sent back to me. Wow. So coincidentally, as soon as I got all his changes back and incorporated into the manuscript, I happened to be on cemetery dance and they were open for submissions, which they never are. Yeah. (laughs) And I, just said, hey, here's the first three chapters. I have literally no writing credits, but here I am. And uh, Brian responded within a few days and said, yeah, Richard wants to read this, so get me the rest of the book. Wow. And, and that was it. it. It actually took him, took Richard a couple of years to read it, 
So it was a long, long waiting period for me, um, which gave me plenty of time to work on other books. And then 2014, you know, he finally said, that's it. I'm going to read it. He read it, sent me the contract. And here we are, 2016, it came out. And I couldn't be happier with with what they did with the cover and and the book itself. It's really beautiful. It is. I have both the... uh, um the physical copy and the ebook um they're both uh, very well put together i love the yeah. uh, i love the uh the, the the mat on you know on the cover that just that it just it just feels good to hold in your hands right exactly <laughs> and it's funny because other than you know one of the big five publishers they would have been my number one dream come true mostly oh, sure. because I've spent so much money with them over the years. <laughs> it's yeah. nice to, to get a little back, but yeah, they're they're a great. Richard and and Brian are just fantastic to work with. I I can't speak highly enough of those guys, and especially for giving me a chance, being an unknown. Yeah, uh, you mentioned uh, in that story that you you had that blog for the Red Sox. Do you still keep that up at all? Yeah, it was something me and my buddy had done for. God, you know, like I said, we started in 2004, and up until about the last two years, we kept it up pretty faithfully, but I don't know, the last couple of years, we've both gotten busy with our own things and kind of let it slide, so it's still out there. You, we used to post faithfully every day, and now you might see you know, one post a week from one of us, so kind of kind of taking a back seat. The blog thing is really kind of burned out, and everybody just uses a Facebook page or whatever, so it's kind of like a a a dying media i think yeah um you know it's probably a good thing that you uh, went through that though uh you know with the popularity of that blog it kind of prepared you for what you're going to go through now (laughs) yeah i hope so (laughs) honestly i I thought you were going to say that it prepared me in writing because it was i was writing every day obviously it wasn't fiction although some of the stuff i made up about the red Sox back then was probably (laughs) fiction but uh yeah it did and um it was a fun. It was fun while it lasted, I guess. And there was a time that we were making actually making money off the site because people wanted to advertise on the popular blogs. And then, um, you know, Google Ads kind of put an end to that and forced everyone through them. So yeah, the the revenue dried up. And then I don't know. After winning whatever three world championships, I think the the the, the mystique kind of wore off from both of us. And we, like I said, we just got busy. So yeah. But I imagine you still watch a lot of baseball. I do a lot of baseball, a lot of a lot of Celtics, a lot of Patriots. Not a hockey guy, but the other three sports I do keep up uh, with. For me, it's uh, it's hockey and baseball. I'm a big nice. uh, I'm a big Jays fan. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm from Toronto, so oh, okay. we're near anyway. <laughs> I like that. Interesting. Gotcha. <laughs> I've never been up there. I hear the stadium's beautiful. I've never made it up there. It is. I I love going. Although in the last couple of years, uh, you know, it's kind of hard. Well, not difficult to get there, but um, it's uh, it's been a lot busier. Just say that since uh, the Jays have gotten a bit better. Well, right. The last couple of seasons, anyway. <laughs> right. So, um, you've also released a, a new book recently, uh, with Bloodshot Books. And the book's title is Eternal Darkness. Uh, Correct. Can you tell us what that one's about? Sure. Um, Eternal Darkness is, it has a lot of similarities to Haven in that it's set in the 70s. It's it's these small town kids battling an evil. Uh, This evil happens to be a vampire. No spoilers there. I think people will figure that out pretty quickly. Um, Honestly, it, it wasn't my 
preference, I guess, to, to release it so quickly after Haven, um, just because they are so similar in the, the, the coming of age aspect and, and the, you know, the setting in the seventies, I really wanted to put something in between them to separate them and, and not kind of pigeon my myself, pigeonhole myself into, you know, he's just going to write these small town boy books and blah, blah, blah. So, um, but it's just the way it worked out. It was ready. And, and Pete Kale from bloodshot, who is also awesome to work with really wanted it. And, uh, you know, I, how could I turn that down? <laughs> yeah. What, what's it like working with, uh, with bloodshot books? They're great. I mean, they're, he, he's really just starting out and, and he's trying to, I, I think I'm speculating here, but he's kind of modeling himself after what Richard did with cemetery dance mm-hmm. between he, he publishes some new authors and then he does a lot of reprints on like British authors who had never had a, a U.S. imprint. So he's mixing in a lot of well-known authors with his new authors and he seems to be getting some traction. He's got books scheduled for the next two years. So, um, he's actually just released an open call for, I think tw- late 2018 and 2019 novels. So I'm in the back of my head considering a, a sequel to eternal darkness, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> So, um, how many novels have you written since, uh, since Haven was finished? Um, so Eternal Darkness was my second. I have a YA novel that is actually with an agent now. I'm hoping the agent's going to accept it and represent me for, for that one. Mm-hmm. And I have, <clears throat> pardon me, I have a novella coming out from Dark Fuse as a limited edition hardcover Sweet. in September. And then I have two other full-length adult novels that are both probably about 80% done that I just need to find time to get back to. Awesome. Now, since, uh, you know, that was your first novel, Haven, that you ever worked on, and you want a stoker for it, do you, does any, like, negative thoughts creep in? Like, uh, like, because there is that, you obviously, you, you published your second book already, but there is that mystique about writers having trouble after finding success, um, do you think, do you ever find that creeping in now or is it, are you, is your head still in the clouds? Um, a little of both, but mostly the former. I, you know, regardless of what public opinion is, I'm not sure I'll ever love any of my work as much as I love Haven. I'm hoping other people will, but yeah, that I remember having a conversation with Bracken McLeod. Uh, who wrote Stranded and Mountain Home mm-hmm. about this very thing. And he, he called it imposter syndrome. Like you never feel like you really belong in, you know, in the same sentence with certain other writers and things like that. But yeah, I, it, it was, I hope it wasn't lightning in a bottle type thing. And I hope I have more success in the future. I think my novella that I have coming out is such a, a different, almost a different genre it's horror i guess but it's there's no supernatural element to it it's much darker and a little more violent i would say so i don't know i'm just even though i'm an an older person to be a rookie writer i think i'm still kind of exploring different you know different voices and and different um formats Uh, one of the ghost story novels that i'm working on now I'm, i'm trying to 
incorporate a, a lot of epistolary writing. And I know there's various opinions on that, but I don't know. I'm just trying different things and, and basically having fun with it. I really enjoy the YA novel. I'm, I'm hoping the agent will take it and, and get that out there soon because I'm really proud of that one. Awesome. I, honestly, I can't wait to see what you do in the future. Uh, part of the reason why I asked that last question is because uh, I know it would mess with my head. <laughs> oh, it does. <laughs> I'm yeah. not going to lie. I, I mean, sometimes I have to go and just like look at the stoker and make sure it's really there and it really happened. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, is there anything uh, that readers can expect coming out soon from you? Yeah, like I said, the... Um, the next thing to, to hit should be the novella, which is a very, very small print run, limited edition hardcover from Dark Fuse. That's in September. Yes. And that's congratulations uh, on that, by the way. That's a... thank, thank you. Yeah, that's I, they're, they're a great organization, too. I'm yeah. really happy to be working with them. So I'm, I'm trying to get that, get an interest in that same story, obviously, for paperback and ebook. I'm still searching for a home for that. I have a couple short stories out there that have pseudo been accepted, but I can't really say anything about them yet. But uh, the no the novella Weekend Getaway will be out from Dark Fuse in September, and not sure about after that. Things hopefully things will happen quickly with some of these other projects. Awesome. So uh, where can people find you online if they want to ask you questions? Yep, yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, Twitter and my website is tomdd.com. Very clever. Um, <laughs> I have a mailing list that I'd love people to sign up for when they go to tomdd.com. That's going to be the first thing they see is is to sign up for my mailing list, which I do monthly, and I try and incorporate different giveaways and things like that. And I have a feature that I think I, is really cool: the story behind the story, where I'll give a little bit of what my inspiration was or what real incident a certain scene from one of my stories was based on so i hope i hope the people reading the newsletter like that because i really enjoy putting it out there awesome well thank you for being on the show great i appreciate it jason anytime and we will talk again soon take care bye welcome to the second half of our stoker award winners special in just a moment, I'm going to chat with Maria Alexander. Maria is the author of the Stoker award-winning novels Mr. Wicker and Snowed, and the poetry collection At Loose Ends, which I had the honor of publishing through my now-defunct micropress Burning Effigy. She's also an outspoken critic of sexist depictions of women with swords. Hello, Maria. Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, first things first, congratulations for winning the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Young Adult Novel for your book, Snowed. Thank you. If I'm correct, this is your second Stoker win. Does it feel as good as the first one? Yes. In fact, it feels better, I think. Now, Snowed is many things. It's a coming-of-age story, it's a story about bullying, but it's also a really unconventional Christmas story. Can you tell me a little bit about how the idea for the book was first born? Well... It started way back, uh, almost 20 years ago, I wrote a short story called Coming Home. And it's a really, really wicked piece of flash fiction that does something very terrible to Christmas, very much what Snow does to Christmas, um, but in only 1,200 words. And the story had a lot of 
longevity, I guess you would say. It really had legs. Um, it was republished many times. It was turned into a podcast. It was turned into, it was actually produced as a one act play and um, here in Los Angeles. And it really, you know, I knew there was something there in the, in the story, something about, you know, Christmas having actually a very dark underbelly. And so when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, I think there's, there's more to this. This could be bigger. And as I looked at it, I realized what I needed to do to make it a bigger story. And that's how Snowed began. So what was the personal appeal in subverting a mainstream holiday like Christmas for you? Well, it started when I was four. Uh, I was four years old, going on five, and I had a really terrible Christmas. <laughs> and I, we weren't big on celebrating Christmas in general for, for a lot of reasons, but um, I had a really bad Christmas and it was because my father, I'd asked my parents for a race car set. I was not your average girl, apparently. And I was really keen on getting a race car set. And my dad had bought a race car set, but he bought it for his godson. And he left it out on the couch one morning, very close to Christmas. And me being so little, I didn't know it was Christmas or not Christmas. And I thought it was for me. And so when he told me it wasn't for me, it was for his godson. I, I think we got a lot of things going on here, gender-wise. and all that. You know, Not just Christmas, but, but I associated that with Christmas and I just hated it. From then on, I thought Christmas was the cruelest holiday that there could be. And, um, and that really lingered with me, even once my parents caught on and actually gave me the CB radio I asked for and <laughs> when I was eight and <laughs> things like that. I mean, it didn't really, it didn't really get a lot better for me, though. I never, I never really loved it the way other people love it. Was it challenging at all to find a publisher for this novel? It was. Uh, when Snowden initially went on submission... We received a lot of very, very positive rejections from editors. A lot of them loved the book, uh, but the consistent response we received was that YA horror doesn't sell. And it didn't matter how good the book was or how much they personally loved it. It was a marketing decision. It came down to a marketing decision. And, um, you know, and, and, and so finally, I asked Raw Dog if they would wanted to take a look at it because it was a little bit out of their wheelhouse in terms of uh, age range. But they were they read it and they loved it, and I knew that they would. But it was you know the the, the process was uh, you know it, it was it was frustrating, and to have so many good things said about a book, so many wonderful positive uh, like to have editors write whole like huge emails about it saying how wonderful it was and then ultimately say, but this doesn't sell or to have it in one case, an imprint shut down as we were talking to the editor who loved it. And it was very frustrating. I always find it really interesting when publishers are saying horror doesn't sell in YA or whatever, because when I go into schools and you go into schools yourself, the kids are always telling me how much they love horror. Well, what we were told is that it is, it is. I, I, I mean, the, but the thing is that, that they, that they told us, and I have to, I kind of see this happening is that kids love horror, but they love horror movies. 
They love horror TV, like The Walking Dead and um, Teen Wolf. MTV's Teen Wolf is like, those those actors are like the Beatles now. They're so famous, Tyler Posey and everybody. And um, I mean, and when I was, I was mentoring a high school student, uh, she was a senior doing her, her senior thesis on horror. She hadn't read any horror. She had only seen movies, but she wanted to write horror. So I had to give her a lot of assignments and you know, make sure she was getting the right horror literature background. She didn't have it. It was all movies and TV. And this sort of takes us off topic a little bit, but if they're not reading horror, but they're loving horror movies and TV, what are they reading? Are they reading at all? They're oh, they're definitely reading, but they're reading fantasy. They're reading these dystopian novels. They're reading. They're definitely reading. Uh, YA is huge, and I and although they say that, I mean, that like sixty percent of the market is I, I'm not I'm not sure what the number exact number is though. It's somewhere at least fifty percent of the market is adults. Um, it's still children who are reading these books largely, and they. They're, they're just not, I guess they're just not reading the horror novels. They're just really getting into the, the fantasy accent. Maybe the kids who love horror would prefer to watch TV than to read. I don't know. Now, your book's main character, Charity, she's uber smart. She's totally rational, a complete science chick. Why was she the right person to cast in what is ostensibly a supernatural story? Well, what I wanted to tell in this story, I wanted, what I wanted to explore, I should say, is the idea of what is it like when someone who is very rational encounters the irrational, something that is so beyond measurement. I wanted to know what would happen to that person. How would they respond to that? Because the whole book is really about opposites coming together. You know, what happens when you know, the, set, the supernatural meets the rational. What happens when um, the 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 when faith meets reason? Um, I'm very attracted to those themes, and I just wanted to see what would happen to Charity when, as she tries to process this event. And um, and I think I found a good, I think I think I think I found a good way of dealing with that. Um, in her response, and her response ultimately is sort of a wait and see. You know, she she accepts what she has experienced, but she doesn't accept everybody else's explanation of it. She she wants to test it. She wants to observe it. Um, and I wanted to sh I wanted to show a young person having that kind of response. Now, staying with Charity for a moment, she's a really interesting, complex character. She's biracial. As we mentioned, she's very smart. She's totally into STEM. Um, can you talk a little bit about your process of creating this character? Well, it started where I was just reading tumblers written by biracial girls. And I did that for like a year and a half, almost two years. I wanted to see, I was just looking at what, what are their challenges? What are they coping with? Because one of my friend's uh, daughter, she has two daughters who are biracial, the same mix as, as Charity. And I was curious, like, what, what are their challenges? These kids are the future. 
So what are they dealing with now that they're carrying forward? And I found it really fascinating. Um, and also I wanted to create a character. I wanted to show a girl who was comfortable using numbers, a girl who was comfortable with math and science, because I knew several growing up. In fact, one of my best friends, moms was an engineer. So it never occurred to me when I was that age that anybody wouldn't be comfortable with math and science and physics and, and all that stuff. So I wanted to show that as well. Um, you know, I knew that she was complex and then also making her an atheist was also going to make her, give her an extra edge. Um, but I had no idea until I got her, once she became a full person, she really did come together as a full person, uh, in my mind. And I just, the more details I was able to craft into her, the, the more compelling she became to me. And I just, I love her as if she was like one of my own children. She's just an amazing little girl. Or actually she's a young woman now. She's really matured. How have teen readers reacted to her? Oh, they love her. Oh my God. <laughs> she's, I mean, partly because she's sort of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer type of character. I mean, she's just like, whatever, I'm going after this, whatever it is. You know, her, her, her confidence, you know, is just overwhelming. And um, they love seeing her just be so brave and so smart you know, and, um, and so proactive in the story, because there are a lot of YA novels where the female protagonist is really just sort of mopey and is not, doesn't really drive the story at all. I've read these books and it was very frustrating to read. So, but the kids love it. And, um, and they've over been overwhelmingly, their response has been overwhelmingly positive. Now I understand there's a second book on the way. When can we expect that? Uh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> it's just about finished. Um, when I finish it, and I mean, where I'm talking like it's on its last pass, it's not, I mean, it's already had like six drafts, maybe seven drafts. Um, I'm then going to give it to my agent to give to Raw Dog. They have a first look, um, with the book and then we'll see what happens from there. Are you turning this into a series or is it just the two? It's a trilogy, actually. Um, so there's a, there's a third book after that, and that will wrap up that story. But the world building that's gone into this, it's clear that uh, there are a lot more stories that could be told, even if it's not from the point of view of these protagonists necessarily. Um, but there are other teens out in the world that have been affected, um, who are part of this worldview, or I should say world building, that... Um, could really, they could have their own adventures for sure. Now, in the uh, in the previous book, we saw Charity's entire worldview rocked, obviously, because she had to come to terms with all the stuff she didn't believe existed. Can you give us a hint at what's in store for our heroine in book two? Well, the initial title I was the the, the test title I was giving it was Inversion, and that was an an allusion to. Her whole, everybody's world gets turned upside down in that book. Um, she and her friends travel to the Arctic uh, to save Aiden. Uh, but they don't know what's happened to Aiden since they've not been in contact with him and he's not been in contact with them. So, um, And a lot does happen to him because we start the book, first half is told from Aiden's point of view. 
And then we don't get to Charity's point of view until the second half. And when she does get to the Arctic, things are very different and very surprising and very upsetting when she when she arrives. She has no idea what's in store. Um, not that she had much of an idea, but she, she thinks she knows what's going on. And it's really something very, very different scenario. Now, one of the things that uh, I admire about you as a writer is that you work um, in a variety of mediums and even like age groups. Your first stoker was for a book for grownups. Obviously, back in the day, we did a poetry book when I was doing Burning Effigy Press. And now you're writing YA. Is there any of these mediums that in particular appeals to you and why? Well, currently... I'm really enjoying writing for a young adult audience. I really love writing from that point of view. I think it might be my favorite of all the different mediums and all the different uh, genres that I've worked in. That's probably my favorite. Um, And I would also say that having a crime element to the book seems essential as well. It might not be as strong in the sequel, um, as it was in the first book, the mystery aspect of it might be more of a thriller adventure than a mystery type of thriller. Um, but that is really my first love. So when I heard the news that um, that Snowed had been nominated for the Anthony Award as well, which is one of the top mystery writing awards, I actually got pretty emotional because... That's that as a child, that was my first love. First, it was mysteries, then monster movies. So that was really important to me, and uh, it really deeply affected me to know that um, that it was was recognized by that genre as well. So I think going forward, there's always going to be a thriller element, and it'll, there, but there will always be a, a a a horror element as well, a dark supernatural element. Okay, I'm going to ask you very briefly to give one piece of advice. Let's say there's a teen reader out there that reads Snowed and she's now totally inspired to start telling horror stories of her own. What piece of advice would you give her? I would tell her to read as much as possible. And when she starts to write, to not share that writing with anyone, especially people who would critique it, at least for, depending on how old she is, at least for like a couple of years. Because I believe strongly that children, and when I say children, I mean just anybody under 18, um, they are now pressured to publish and become famous and all this bullshit that, that I mean, it's it's terrible, and it's and it's a ter- it has a terrible impact on their creativity for them to be putting themselves out to, there too early. So I think that would probably be my main piece of advice. Lastly, if people wanted to follow you online, where can they do so? I am everywhere. <laughs> I am on Facebook. I have an author page and a personal page. Um, I have a a Twitter account uh, under Lamopan, L-A-M-A-U-P-I-N. I have a, my goodness, I have a Pinterest account. I have an Instagram. I'm very active on Instagram. It's like my, it's my happy place right now. Um, I'm on, on Snapchat as Lady Euthanasia. Um, I 
Let's see, what else do I have? I have a website. Uh, my website is mariaalexander.net. And yes, that's two A's in the middle. Um, and I have a newsletter. If you go to the website, you can sign up for my newsletter. And I promise not to overwhelm you with stuff. <laughs> only, only real news. Only when there's something to report. Excellent. If you haven't already read Maria Alexander's award-winning YA novel, Snowed, what are you waiting for? It's published by Raw Dog Screaming Press and available at Amazon and other fine book retailers. Thank you, Maria, for allowing me to pick your brain today, and congrats again on winning The Stoker. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our Stoker Award winners special. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please follow our guests Tom Deedy and Maria Alexander on social media and consider adding one of their titles to your to-be-read pile. You won't be disappointed. Now, before we say our farewells, I have one final thing to announce. Before the end of June, we'll be making two additional bonus episodes of the Great Lakes Horror Company available to our listeners. The first will feature an interview with horror author and journalist Michael Rowe, and the second will feature writer J. Daniel Stone. Both are part of our Pride Month coverage and will be hosted by Great Lakes Horror Company co-producer Andrew Robertson. If you've liked what you've heard today, you can subscribe to the Great Lakes Horror Company on iTunes, Google Music, or Stitcher, and you can support the making of this podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash libraryofthedamned. You can also find us on Facebook, just search for us by name, and on Twitter at glhorrorpodcast. If you have a question, comment, or idea for a future show, please email it to glhc at horror-writers.ca. The Great Lakes Horror Company is presented by libraryofthedam.com. The show is produced by Sefer Jerome, Monica S. Kubler, and Andrew Robertson. Our theme music has been provided by Leslea Kirvorst. Thanks for listening. <laughs>